Okay, so first there was a cry over sustainable fashion. Then Future Fridays got kids ditching school to take a stand for the environment. And once the output of natural gas hit a new record high, everyone got really mad. Oh wait, there's also the recent UN Climate Action Summit. It was all filled with interlocking disputes between big polluting countries facing last-ditch pressures from smaller nations on how to implement the 2015 Paris Agreement on global warming. What's this all really about? Well, everyone's really worried about our air filtration and ecosystem balance. It's changing, and in the direction that can turn us all into history's next dinosaurs. What got us to this point? Here's the truth. As humans, we've used the earth to evolve. We cultivated the land to strengthen ourselves, and this improved our health, longevity, and reproduction rates, which led to overpopulation. It is that overpopulation that caused degradation of the environment. To survive with more people, we destroyed forests for crop cultivation. Seriously, about 80% of deforestation is the result of agriculture, so we just took from the earth to feed ourselves. And then we began transporting more goods, things like healthcare devices, building materials, everything you see around you, and we started to get more mobile. All of the vehicles that move things and people around emit CO2. Well, trees usually filter CO2 and convert it into oxygen, but with the dwindling forests, they can't keep up. Excess CO2 has caused global atmospheric temperatures to rise, speeding up climate change. And climate change causes a vicious cyclical effect. CO2 heats up oceans, warmer oceans release more CO2, leading to an even warmer atmosphere, and this is all impacting the change in our water cycles. We're seeing more natural disasters like hurricanes, tornadoes, and fires that destroy cities all around the world. Agriculture plots turn into barren wasteland. Meanwhile, oxygen-producing ocean life is dying, threatening our food chain. And now, everyone is just trying to reverse the effects by looking across industries and reducing our CO2 emissions. But that doesn't get into the source of it all. So let's go there. Agriculture and transportation are necessary for our survival. What would happen if we change the way these two things operate right now? Will replenishing forests and switching to EV vehicles really help? Let's start with food. Name is Rakesh Patel. I'm head of all the Patel's locations nationwide. And uh, I run all the stores. The Patel brother chain is pretty impressive. We have 54 grocery stores nationwide. Uh, it's Indian ethnic grocery stores. And we specialize just in the Indian subcontinent. Okay, talk to me about how you got started. Our company was started in 1974. My father and his brother, Patel Brothers, they started the company. And it slowly, slowly grew. And when we joined in 91, uh, we exploded, basically. And then the last 10 years, we just went, you know, really fast and hard and grew the market more. Plus a lot of H1s, a lot of uh, IT engineers. The influx of immigrants were so drastic in the last 15 years. So our population grew like triple, I think. And are you seeing continued growth? Well, yes, because you need technology. 
What Rakesh is referring to is the influx of H-1B immigrants coming from India to work in the U.S. technology sector. In 1990, President George H. Bush signed the Immigration Act, increasing legal immigration by 40%. By 1998, President Bill Clinton enacted the American Competitive and Workforce Improvement Act, which nearly doubled the immigration cap from 65,000 to 115,000 per year. By the time George W. Bush came into presidency, he reduced the annual H-1B cap back to 65,000, but he introduced a separate pool of 20,000 H-1B visas for people having a U.S. master's degree, so those that came here for a student visa could now stay and work. As more immigrants came from India, a growing need emerged to serve the population with food that reminded them of their heritage. They wanted to eat things that felt, well, close to home. But they weren't the only ones. The Americans are starting to adapt to the Indian food like British in England, India is the number one food cuisine in the country, over and beyond British food. And slowly that's happening here in America too. Do you think that there'll be more specialized grocery stores to serve different palates, like maybe African or Eastern European? It is happening because if, uh, if you look at our trade, every single trade, H1 is example, they control the Asian market. Mm -hmm. We do the Indian market, the Ziyads do the Middle Eastern, like five, six other guys who have Middle Eastern brands. Everyone has their own little niche. So every Kroger or Albertson or whatever you have in America, they have aisles designated to ethnic brands now because people want to try making Indian food or ethnic food. So let's go back to the Patel brothers. Were there any other factors that contributed to the success of your stores? All the new generation came in. So the new way of thinking, the new look, the new modern ideas, computerization, uh, just in time. So we made it to the next level. And everyone copies us now. The Patel brothers took an aggressive approach to being customer focused and retaining loyal shoppers. They started by providing more of an experience around food. And they looked globally to source their product. Where do you get your food from? All over the world. India, Europe, America, Canada, Mexico. Wherever we can source it properly. And the Patel brothers became even more successful. Our share volume is so high that we need to go where we can get the volume. So, example, saffron comes out of Spain. They have the volume. India can't make as much as we need. Or rice comes out of India. Or jasmine, jasmine rice comes out of Thailand. Different parts of the world have different items. As global sourcing increased with the Patel brothers' success, Rakesh increased his focus on managing the supply chain. Everything in the world is brought to you by a truck. How many trucks come to each facility per day? Each store or each distribution center? We have What's two different things. We have distribution centers uh -huh. and retail stores. So a distribution center, hundreds a day come in. In and out all day. Uh, the stores, 20, 30, 40 trucks a day come in. We get things from San Francisco up to New York. Our personal trucks only go 300 miles, our company trucks. But outside carriers nationwide, everything has to be bought on a truck. Yeah. A commercial vehicle, I should say. Okay, so that's a lot of trucks. 
Each large truck travels 1,000 miles for each full trip, which is like the distance from Dallas to Chicago. And each 1,000-mile trip emits 7,000 pounds of CO2. Let's say these trucks take two trips per week. That means they emit 743,000 pounds of CO2 a year. To put it in perspective, the average car emits about 14,000 pounds of CO2 every year. So even as we move to EVs for personal transportation, we're only moving the needle a little bit. Of course, there are fewer trucks than personal vehicles, but if you think about it, for every one truck transporting food, we'd have to have 123,836 people switching over their vehicles to electric in order to make a real impact on reducing carbon emissions. Now, Rakesh gets over 100 trucks at each facility a day. Let's say they drive one-tenth of the distance specifically for Patel Brothers stores. Many trucks will drop off loads in other stores for other reasons. At 54 stores, the trucks needed to service the demand for the Patel brothers emit 401 million pounds of CO2 a year. Now, Rakesh is pretty progressive, and he's willing to do what it takes to help the environment, so he already began thinking about electrification. Like all my new shopping centers, we have free charging stations for electric cars. Cool. So if you have an electric Tesla, whatever, yeah. it's free, it's on the house. You plug your car, we, we charge it for free. Interesting. It's free electricity for you. Yeah. I mean, it costs but $1 for are me. There, are there enough uh, vehicles? Like, are you seeing more and more vehicles park? In the next 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. everything will be going to electric sooner or later. Yep. So we're just putting the infrastructure in the ground now mm -hmm. that in the future, if it does go, we're ready. We don't have to dig up the whole ground if we do all the work. Yeah. I think each store has six or eight charging stations the ones that I own, shopping centers, mm -hmm. for electric cars. But when it comes to trucks? So what if there were EV trucks that started to hit the market? Would you test them in early days? We would, but it won't be feasible because they don't have the mileage. We tried it once. We'll buy one just to try it out. We might just use locally because it's not enough mileage in there, mm. but we can't use it over the road because where do you charge it? You know. Okay, so that's interesting. So let's look 20, 30 years down the road. Let's say that there are more electric heavy trucks. Mm -hmm. And even though they can only go a couple hundred miles without charging, let's say that there are enough charging stations that they can tap into. So let's say the infrastructure is there. Okay. Presumably that would actually impact the time to delivery. It'll, it'll slow down the whole uh, chain. Yeah, the supply exactly. Chain. So what happens today when one of your trucks is late? It, it, my whole thing goes back. It's like a domino effect. If, yeah, so the problem is, if the truck is late for delivery this morning, my truck can't get on the afternoon, so that delivers my schedule for the next day. So it's just a domino effect. That's why we try to use reliability. Trucks, equipment, like all my equipment is not more than five years old. We don't have any equipment because it's gonna break down. If it breaks down, I lose a day in my life, or a day in my truck's life. You can't have that. That's acceptable. If electric trucks delay the supply chain, customers won't be happy. And the Patel brothers simply won't allow this. I mean, if you go shopping, he's not there, you're not happy. Yeah. I mean, you went to buy Hall's cough drops, and you went there, and he's not there, and you have a cough. You'll be one pissed off person. 
if it's not there for you, or oranges, or lemons, or whatever you have. Yeah. Everything should be at the store at all times. I, I tell my sales guys, if the price is too high, lose money. But make sure the customer has the item there, because they should not feel they didn't get the item they wanted. Every single customer complaint goes to the family. If not I, some in the upper management will reply to each email, or each complaint that is done properly. And uh, there's, there's no, there's a no, you can't say no. That's my first thing. And everything should be perfect. Customer satisfaction isn't the only reason why Rakesh doesn't see electric trucks operating the supply chain. The battery. The battery backup, A, the government needs the infrastructure too. To, in order to plug all those plugs in, the comment needs to have the power. I don't see that power anywhere. Plus, who's going to pay all the taxes? Right now, diesel pays for the roads. Electric is free. So how is the government going to make money if it's electricity? Somehow the money needs to be generated. But the biggest thing is that we, we're talking internally that trucks can't last the mileage. I don't see the problem being solved anytime soon. No yeah. one's going to run a truck if it's not making money. Yep. It's a business. You know, the government will do it for free, but the public and private sector, the private sector has to generate income. But even if infrastructure, electricity economics, and battery life does sort itself out, there's a third problem. An entire industry would have to move over to electrification. Diesel-burning trucks already operate the road in masses, and many trucking companies aren't as open to change, or at least they need a really good reason to get rid of their working assets. These companies are reliable, and they could very well win in the resistance to a new way of operating the supply chain. Most of my vendors are with me for the last 25 years. So they know what we want, we know what they want, and uh, we need equipment, we need, you know, everyone works with each other. We don't, if you come and give me something half price, we don't care. We want uh, reliability and sustainability. With Meek Outlooks for reducing our carbon footprint through one of its major sources, that being trucking, the Patel brothers are exploring other options for sustainability. So we just did a solar panel project in Schomburg. We are the largest private solar, pro, solar panel project in Illinois. Wow. We were. If the government didn't subsidize it, I would never make money. They give you like 75% of the money over like five years or 10 years in tax rebates. But if they didn't do that, our payoff right now is eight years with subsidies. Without subsidies, it'd be like 25 years. Wow. It there's no way you can make money. So it's, it's one of those things that nobody, they pr- project 25 years. But uh, if we do not get the subsidies from the, the government, there's no way you make money. It's a losing proposition. So the projected R- is the projected ROI better? It's about eight years. Eight years? Yeah. After that, is I when make you break money. even. Break even. So I got and a, then after that, you're starting to save more money. We get free electricity. You get free, yeah. So basically. we paid $1.5 million up front for electricity for the next eight years. And we get some back a little, little, little. The government gives us tax rebates. So after eight years, the whole thing pays off. And then after that, I get free electricity of 100000 a year for as long as the panels last. That's crazy. It almost feels like we're not moving fast enough as a society. Technology's not there fast enough. It's not. We talk about it being so fast, but it's actually very slow. True, because it's, no one knows what it is. And how many people can actually pay $1.5 million to cover their facility? Nobody. Few. Yeah, very few. So bank, banks are trying to finance it. Yeah. But it's still, bank finance is nine half your payout because you have to pay interest at the bank. Yeah, and 
electricity is usually not the most important thing for a business. Correct. Is that for us? It isn't. It's but a second thought. It's an afterthought for most businesses. Correct. So you're more experimental with it, and you're willing to try it out, but there aren't a lot of other businesses that think like that right now. We tried one store. It, we, we, we think of rolling out one more to try it out one more time to see the numbers. But if it doesn't work out, you know, 50 stores, a million and a half dollars a store, $75 million. And if it doesn't work out, what if the panels break in five years? The panels haven't been proven to last 20, 30, 40 years. They theoretically, they said the light bulb lasts 10,000 hours. They promised the world, but it's not gonna happen. Yeah. So what are we really left with? Consumer demand growing the need to transport global food supply? One of the largest contributors to climate change, the transportation sector, showing little promise for reducing CO2 emissions at the sake of consumers? a lagging technology and infrastructure underpinning for electrification at scale, and a poor economic value proposition for alternative green solutions. Will things change? Sure. Rakesh thinks people will change their food preferences, but those changes will just replace the seeds in regions where forests were torn down for crop cultivation, leaving us in the same place we're in now, in a society that prioritizes the movement of food over CO2 filtering tree life. It's a necessity. Was it Darwinism, survival of the fittest? They will do it. What if they couldn't grow saffron, for example, because of environmental conditions? They use turmeric. It's the same thing. It's just a cheaper <laughs> version of it. Okay. Yeah. So people will adjust the commodity. Yeah. To their profiles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This all sounds pretty horrible, but it's not. I promise. There are things we can do to protect our future in the face of climate change. It just may not include a full overhaul of our transportation network in one broad swoop. A French university called, wait, let me try to get this right, École Polytech Fédérale de Louisiane came up with a novel solution, capturing CO2 directly in the truck's exhaust system and liquefying it in a box on the vehicle's roof. The liquid CO2 is then delivered to a service station where it's turned into conventional fuel using renewable energy. The whole process takes place within a small capsule that's placed above the driver's cabin. There are many other ideas that we can think of when it comes to reducing our carbon footprint in the transportation system. Got one? Send me a voice message. The link is in the podcast description.